The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC, and thank you, Landon, for the announcements and updates. We're looking forward to the men's retreat. If you haven't signed up and you can go, man, you should go. Um, My buddy, one of my best friends in ministry, is going to be leading. Um, His wife recently passed away. Um, he's a pastor of my former former church, and um, man, listen, when Chris speaks, the Lord always moves in his life. So it's going to be a great time uh, and hanging out with some of the guys of the church. So I, I'd highly encourage you to be a part uh, of that that men's event. We're going to have a good time um, this weekend. It's it's close. It should be able to even come back and, and be a part of Sunday service. Amen. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> I heard a lot of female amens. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, let's let's jump right into um, the the word today. We're in Acts chapter one. We're talking about the kingdom. Okay, and so we started this last week, and just thinking about how uh, you know Jesus and the resurrection. Like we look at the resurrection, we celebrate the resurrection, we look forward to even our own resurrection um, at the second coming of Christ when he returns uh, to to the world. But the the resurrection brought about the beginning of a new kingdom. And so that is so vitally important for us to think about. And and today I want to explore a little bit about how that kingdom moves. And movements are fascinating. Um, if you stop and just think about movements that have happened over the history of, uh, of the world, especially in America, there have been different types of movements, some even movements going on even today. And when I was thinking about this idea of, of being a part of a movement, you really can't be a part of a movement unless you have some personal movement. Like we think in terms of the civil rights movement and all that it accomplished. Well, to really be a part of the civil rights movement, you needed some personal movement about civil rights. And so when we think about, okay, for us to have um, an experience in a movement, we need to have personal movement. So as we talk about um, kingdom movement today, I'm not talking about the macro, okay? Like there's kingdom movement happening all over the world, All, uh, all of the continents and and all of the people groups, there's some kind of movement that is taking place uh, within the kingdom. And we're all, you know, if, as we follow Jesus, if we're, we're part of the kingdom, then, then we're experiencing a part of that movement. But then there is the micro. What is happening in my own life? Because if there's not any kingdom movement happening in my own personal life, then I'm really not part of the kingdom. Like, what's, like, what is happening for me to move the kingdom forward? That's the whole thing. We look at what, why Jesus saved us. And because he loved us and he wanted us to be a part of his kingdom. And he wanted us to be a part of advancing that kingdom here on the planet. And so not, um, not everyone is seeing kingdom movement. But every believer should be. Like, you should be seeing kingdom movement in your life. It should be somewhere where you can look at your life and go, yeah, I'm in there. I can see the Lord is up to something right here. And all of us should be able to answer in the affirmative in some area of our lives where the kingdom is moving. Now, if you can't, I'm not trying to say, oh my goodness, you're not part of the kingdom. And you're like, ah, okay. 
But you should be looking for, okay, why am I not able to answer in the affirmative how the king is moving in my life, where movement is happening? Because you should be able to answer that. And I think that's one of the problems. And as I talked about last week in the Easter message, some of the, like, the disenfranchisement that I feel is happening inside the church is that I think we're, we're, we're more concerned about the kingdom movement on the macro level in the church. Like, how's, the, how's kingdom moving in the church? And can, what can we say the Lord is doing? Are we adding new services? Are we adding new um, uh, buildings? Are we adding new ministries? Are we adding new um, campuses? Are we adding, are we, add, are we planning new churches? All these things are great and, and important, and we want to see those things happen. But we don't want to sacrifice individual movement for the sake of farming out and saying, well, we are supporting all of these grander works and, and, and larger macro works, and they're happening, so therefore, that's a part of our kingdom movement. No, it's not. You're paying and financing someone else's kingdom movement. Like, you need to have kingdom movement in your own life. So every single one of us need to be looking for how the movement is taking place in our lives where the king is doing something. And so as we look at Acts chapter 1, and we continue from where we left off last week, remember they were looking up as Jesus ascended. He'd given them instructions to go back to Jerusalem and wait. That He had talked through all of his um, time with them during the three years that he spent with them. Prior to his crucifixion, he told them that the Holy Spirit was going to come and would, would minister to them and, and perform a work in them. And so now he tells them that that event is about to take place and they are to go back and, and to wait. And so they're looking up into heaven as Jesus, uh, they're looking up into the sky as Jesus ascends and disappears out of their sights. And um, these two angelic beings come and tell them, what are, you, like, what are you looking at, men of Galilee? It's time to go to work. It's time to get busy. I think they're saying, in essence, Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God while he spent these 40 days with you. And now it's time for you to get busy and be a part of that very kingdom that he was instructing you about. And so upon that, I don't know exactly what happens, but generally when uh, in Scripture, when an angelic being shows up, they, they are not there anymore. So I don't know if they walked away, disappeared, what they did. I don't know what happened. But these guys are left, Okay. And so what do they do? We pick up, and, and this is kind of fascinating for me to begin to unpack the book of Acts as we're doing and just really think about, okay, how is the kingdom moving for these guys? What are we learning? Because really it's a historical account of what should be happening in our church, what should be happening in each of our lives as we look into the Scripture. So these guys, what do they do? Well, it says in verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. It was a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, for those of you who are like, um, you're really into apologetics and you need to develop a good sound apologetic, like a, a defense for why we believe that Jesus, in fact, did rise from the dead and was God, uh, here is a good argument right here. When it says that he was with his brothers, his brothers didn't believe him when he was alive. They shifted, man. Something happened. And so we're talking about his half-brothers, the sons of Joseph and Mary, 
they thought he was crazy. And we're going to look at a passage where we see that um, uh, many of his family thought he, he was crazy. We'll look at that here in a moment. But it says that, uh, so his brothers were there with him and they were constant in prayer. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Okay, so like, just, let's just stop here. Here's another apologetic. They started with 120. And so there are churches all over right now that believe the very same thing that these 120 believed at this point in time. And so like, they, here, but you have to be reminded just to get the context of what we're reading about and what is happening and what is going on. There's only 120 of them. And they're gathered in this room. They've just saw Jesus ascend. They've been charged. Now, Jesus appeared to a lot more than that, and he had gained more followers than that when he was here. But if you want to just nail it down to say, who is the core group? Who are the people that were part of this thing, the movement that, that this thing started with, and it just started spreading? And even today, um, we're gathered here, and I'm proclaiming the gospel and talking about this movement that was started with Jesus and, and these 120 right here. And so there's 120 people there, and it says uh, that um, Peter stands up and he says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Man, I, I wasn't planning on giving you all these apologetics, but I can't, I can't just get away from it. What had to be fulfilled? The scripture. So how did the early um, church fathers, even the original apostles, how did they view the word of God? The scripture, the holy scripture that is not to be changed or altered, but to be fulfilled as it is written. And so when we see a church beginning to depart from Scripture or trying to change historically what Scripture has, how it has been interpreted and, and uh, abandoning, you know, thousands of years of, of church history, that should give us some caution. So he says, brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which who? The Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who was who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. And so with, uh, he's beginning to refer to Judas and how Judas betrayed Jesus. And so there were two Judases. You say, well, I thought Judas was there. Well, that's a different Judas, right? Did you catch that? I hope you did. He says uh, that he, he was one of our number and, and he shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everybody say, ooh. Yeah, like graphic picture. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language are called Ak Akeldama, that is, field of blood. And so what does that mean that he purchased it? Well, he took the 30 pieces of silver that he got for betraying Jesus. He threw it back at the temple, and most likely those um, uh, high priests and, and the other leaders in the, in the synagogue took the money, and they, wouldn't, they weren't going to return it back to the temple treasury so they bought this field. That's where Judas ended up getting buried. And you say, well, I thought he was hung. Well, most scholars agree that he was hung because the gospel said he hung himself. And probably the rope broke and he fell. And you get the picture there that Luke gives us, the good doctor telling us the, of the account of what happened to, to Judas. For said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Now, this is very important as well. So we look at, we have 12 apostles. One of them has fallen, okay? 
We knew that one of them was going to follow. Jesus said they were. Jesus said that one of them really wasn't a follower. And Jesus told them that um, while he was still living. And so now they're selecting a replacement because they looked back in the scripture and saw that they should do that. And, and we're finding out what is the test of apostleship, okay, of being an apostle. Like, do we have apostles today? And the answer is no. We do not have apostles in this sense of what is being described because one of the requirements it says of, a, of an apostle is that um, they have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from what? John's baptism, which was the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry, which John the Baptist was baptizing before Jesus' ministry, to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So that's important because as we look at the New Testament and whether or not it's reliable and can it be trusted, it's always when a book of the Bible is included and one of the letters of the New Testament or the Gospels are included in what we call the canon of Scripture, it had to pass the test of apostolicity, okay? And so it had to be connected to an apostle. And so here's what we see is, is um, some of the requirements of an apostle. So a lot of times in our discipleship, we'll talk about how the Lord has wired you, and he may have wired you as an apostle. Well, that, that Greek word means a person who is sent, a person who is, likes to start new things. But here we're looking at the term apostle or the office of apostle. And that is not an, uh, an office that currently exists today because it's impossible for someone to have been with Jesus from the time of John the Baptist all the time to the time that he was taken up. So that's how we differentiate the apostles. There were 12 that were chosen. One is replaced in this moment right here um, from the rest of the disciples. So we have 120 in this room. 11 of them are apostles. One is not, but is about to be, right? All right, here we go. That sounds like a riddle or something. Okay, so he says, um, um, so, so they proposed two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. So the casting of lots was a very biblical thing. And uh, the lots would give a yes or no answer. It can only come out yes or no as they would cast something on the ground and if it was either, you know, odd or even, right? S something like that. And, and this is the last time in Scripture we see that happening. The last time the lots are cast in the Scripture. Now, why is that? Because in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And so the casting of lots is not any longer going to be necessary because we're going to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Now, was the Holy Spirit at work right now? Absolutely. The Holy Spirit was at work all through the whole Old Testament. So he's at work right now and guiding them and leading them in this experience. But the truth is, is that he doesn't indwell people until we get to next week, and that's going to be a really fun sermon. And so as we look at this, what we see as we make some observations are a few things about the 120. Now, what I want to do is I want to take some time to go back and look at Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 20, because we talk about Jesus talks about opposing kingdoms. And he talks about how um, there is an opposing kingdom to his kingdom. And, and this is the account when his brothers, we, we see that his brothers thought he was a crazy person. 
In Mark chapter uh, 3, verse 20, we find this. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. So they go to get their brother. Can you imagine this? Imagine how, like, you always want to one-up your brothers. I have three brothers, okay? You just always want to one-up them. <laughs> Can you imagine how Jesus, like, like, obviously Jesus was perfect, so he wouldn't think like me, but, like, if I knew what Jesus knew and my three brothers came and told me that I was out of my mind and I was thinking about when I would rise from the dead, I'd be like, you dorks. Like, you have no idea what you're thinking. And so they come to get him because he's out of his mind. Now, Jesus, who doesn't tell us that he thought of them as dorks, but I like to think um, that he thought of, like, dudes, okay? And so then he turns, and, and that's what I was talking about. They shifted in their belief. They no longer believe he's out of his mind. Now they're part of the 120. They believe he's risen from the dead. And so Jesus teaches some very important stuff about kingdom right here. He says, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. And so here's where Jesus starts to talk about kingdoms. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Um, and if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first um, ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. And so Jesus very clearly is talking about um, the idea of an opposing kingdom. And he, he, he's talking about how he's really actually referring to in the crucifixion, he will go in and through, the, the, through his death, he will bind the strong man, which is Satan. We know that Jesus taught in John chapter 10, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy but he said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So we see that the thief's objective is to destroy and to kill, to take away from, to steal from us. And the objective of Christ is to bring freedom and abundance in our lives. And so in order for Jesus to be able to make that a reality for those of us in the kingdom, he must first bind the strong man. So he goes to the cross of Calvary. He is crucified. He dies and he is laid to rest for three days. And in that sacrificial death, in the atoning sacrifice, he was the perfect Passover lamb that the Jews had been taught about all of their history from the time of Moses when the law was given all the way back to Abraham. Even Abraham was called to sacrifice. So there's always this idea of sacrifice in their minds. And so it was to point to when God himself would become a man and become the perfect sacrifice. And in becoming the perfect sacrifice, he ties up the strong man and he binds him. And so now the strong man can no longer steal from those who are part of the kingdom. And so what we have to see here is that there is an opposing kingdom. And when we function in our lives like we're a part of the opposing kingdom and we're not intentional about being a part of the kingdom that we belong to, then it just may be, be very well be that even though um, principally and in, in fact, 
the strong man has been bound, we may be giving the strong man power in our lives to take away from us and instead of allowing the kingdom to advance. So it's very important for us to see that if we are not seeing kingdom movement, we are probably seeing the opposing kingdom move in our lives. We just don't realize it and we're calling it something else. We're not calling it evil. We're not calling it wickedness. We're calling it something else. But if it is not of the Lord and the Lord is not moving in our lives and there is some wicked activity going on in our lives, then it is a part of the kingdom of Satan. And so we have to realize, man, if I'm living that way, I'm being pulled and, and, and torn away from the kingdom that I belong to, and I'm a miserable individual, and there's no place for me to live. I want to live like a person who is free in Christ. That's why Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So now when we go back to the 120 and we have this idea that Jesus taught them for 40 days in his resurrected form, he spent 40 days instructing them about what? The kingdom of God. And so we could very clearly see that he would probably be talking something about the opposing kingdom as well. So the 120, as we look at their lives, what are some observations that we can make about them in this very first experience prior to the Holy Spirit coming? And remember we said that when you are marked with the uh, when you're a saved person and the Lord has done a work in your life, you are marked with the Holy Spirit. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You, you are changed. You are transformed from the old person into the new person. How? There is a supernatural atoning work because the sacrificial blood of Christ is covering your sin. You are returned to a right standing with God, and, and you are placed in a, a position of being a child of the King himself. Okay? And so once that takes place, then we are marked with the Holy Spirit, who has come. Now, at this particular juncture, he has not come, but he is at work. He is about to come. So what do the 120 do in the interim between the arrival of the Holy Spirit and Jesus ascending? Well, we learn, first of all, the 120 listened to the Lord. That's the first thing. What did they do? It says that they went back to Jerusalem. What did Jesus tell them to do when he was with them right before he ascended? You go back to Jerusalem and you wait for the Holy Spirit. This is so important to understand in order to have kingdom movement in your life. The kingdom moves when we listen to the Lord. If you're not listening to the Lord, the kingdom is not going to move in your life. And, and so as we look at this, you, you say, you mean he speaks? And I would say, yes. Like he speaks today. The Lord said stuff. He is talking all the time. In John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. How do we follow him? We listen to his voice. So he must be speaking. In John chapter 16, verse 13, right before he's crucified, one of the things that he instructs them on is, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. Who is the spirit of truth? He is the paraclete, okay? The third person of the Trinity, the counselor that Jesus referred to, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus speaks spiritually to um, his people. And so who does he speak to? People that are listening. If you want to do an interesting study, just read through the New Testament and the, and the Gospels and see how many times that Jesus says the, the phrase, eyes to hear and ears, or eyes to see and ears to hear. 
over and over. He said, give them ears to hear. And so Jesus is speaking to people with, who have ears to hear. He's speaking to listeners. He's speaking to people who are trying to hear his voice. Um, and there is no respecter, like God is no respecter of persons. So he doesn't just speak to the pastor. He doesn't just speak to people who are placed in positions of office in the church. He speaks to his sheep, okay? Like we're all his sheep, and we all should be listening, and we all should be hearing his voice. And if we're not, then we are bad, right? Okay. Not bad people, but it's just not a good thing. Like the Lord is speaking. And so this, this shifts. If you're trying to do your abide time and sitting with the Lord and you're not thinking that the Lord wants to talk, then you have to really use your will and your motivation to try to go sit with him. But when you think, man, the Lord has something to say. It's almost like when you know good news is coming and you're waiting, like maybe you bought a house and you're waiting to see if they, you put in an offer and you're waiting to see if, if they're going to accept the offer or if they're going to counter, then you wait with anticipation to hear what's going to be said on the other line. That's the way you have to get up and, and, and meet with the Lord with anticipation that he is going to say something to you. And so um, for the kingdom to move in our lives, we must be listeners of the Lord. Here's the second thing, the 120 were constant in prayer. Did you notice that? Um, they were constant. Like they went back to this room and they were constant in prayer. They didn't only listen to the Lord, they talked to him. Why? Why did they talk to him? Because when Jesus was here, we have in the Gospels, the historical account of the, that teaches us who Jesus was and what he was like, Jesus taught them and told them to pray. I'm reminded of the Lord's prayer. He said, when you pray, they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray like you do. See, as they watch Jesus in his, like, Jesus is God the Son in the flesh, okay? He, he came into being in flesh. So he is God robed in flesh. And, and as they observed him and they watched him doing all this miraculous stuff and they're trying to form up their opinion about who he really was and they're wrestling with it, they, one of the things that they notice very clear about him is that this guy is always talking to God. And so you know what they ask him to do? Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to talk to God the way that you taught to him. And Jesus gave him a model prayer and said very simply, when you talk to God, just talk to him like this. Talk to him about who he is. Talk to him about who you are. Talk to him about your needs. Talk to him about your provision. Talk to him about temptation. Talk to him about what? the kingdom, that your, um, what is, what is, uh, your will in heaven may be done on earth, that you might bring the will of God here to the planet, okay? So he's talking to this, this is how you do it. And so they became people of prayer. They did exactly what um, Jesus taught them to do. It wasn't panic prayer. It was constant prayer. And I was trying to think of, how do we think about this word constant? I think a good way for us to think about it is that we go to the doctor and you say, man, my back is hurting me. You say, well, is it, a, is it a pain that comes and goes, or is it constant? No, it's constant. It's always there. That's what these people were. They were always in communication with God. Now, to be clear, I'm sure there were some times that it was felt more like a prayer meeting. It was more focused and intense. But always they were in dialogue with God. Not just in the morning, not just in the evening before they go to bed. But they were not just over meals, before meals, to thank God for your meals. They were always talking to God. 
Can I say to you, that's what I do? Like that's, I always thought, I talk to God. Sometimes it's focused in abide time and I have a list of things. I pray for all of you. They're, your names are on a whiteboard and I've got all the people of the church who are part of the church. Your name's there, man. And I'll just go roll through there and I'll, I'll be praying and I'll say to the Lord, Lord, lay your hand on Stephanie Cooper today and help her to grow, help her to break out in freedom, right? And so I'm, I just go through and pray for all of you guys. And that's intense. But then I, after I'm done with that time of prayer in the morning, I'm just talking to, I was talking to God during the worship. I, I'm talking to God if I'm out hunting. I, I'm just always in constant communication with God. And that's what we're supposed to do in prayer. That's what these guys did. So they were in constant uh, uh, prayer. And so the kingdom moves when the citizens speak to the king. Okay? Like Jesus taught us that clearly. So what are we to pray about? Okay, well, here's the other thing the 120 did. They searched the scriptures. Like Peter knew that, that David had, there was a prophetic word uttered by David because it was attached to the suffering servant that he talked about. He knew there was a betrayal and he knew that, that it, it, like Judas had betrayed Jesus and he knew that there needed to be a replacement because he found it in the word of God. And so these people were in the word and that's how they knew what to pray about. The word pointed out things to them and it will point out things to you. And so for the kingdom to move, you want to be people who are listening to the Lord. You want to be people who are constant in prayer and you want to be a person who searches the scriptures to see what God is saying and to see what you should be saying to God about some of the things that are going on in and around and through you or some of the things that you're afraid to follow him in so that he can give you the courage necessary to move forward in what he's asking you to do. And here's the fourth observation I make from that is that the 120 sought the Lord's, uh, uh, sought the Lord for guidance. And uh, so uh, as they narrowed this thing down, they knew that it had to be somebody who was with them the entire time that Jesus was with them, that, that, that saw his, him rise from the dead, uh, saw him in his resurrected form. And so they narrowed it down to two, but they could not decide which brother to choose because both of them were great choices. So they cast lots in order to leave the decision to the Lord. And when they faced, what I see from this is when they faced uncertainty, they looked to the Lord for guidance. And that's what people who are seeing movement from the kingdom in their lives do. When the, and, so, and, 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 and the Lord, he will provide that guidance. And when the guidance was given, they moved forward and didn't look back. They trusted that the Lord had told them to do this. Okay, and so we will see kingdom movement when we start seeking the king's guidance. Now, um, I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. Jesus said, For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So the question becomes, how are we doing this? And what's going to shift for us? And I thought it might be fun. And I'm going to take a risk and do it because I think it will be fun, is to close this sermon out this, this way. Um, we're going to have an open mic here. And uh, so the first, like, here's what I'm going to do first. Dan and Amy, you're on the open mic. Surprise! Yeah, I'm talking to you. <laughs> okay, so I want you two to come up here. Stephanie Cooper, you're coming. Come on, girl. Um, 
And let's go with that. Let's go with that. Mike Vaughn. All right, so Dan, you're up first. Real quickly, we're not going to take a lot of time. But just talk, tell everybody hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> okay, so tell me, tell me just um, uh, how right now in your life are you listening to the Lord? The way in which I'm listening to the Lord is first in my abide time. I try to physically spend 10 to 15 minutes in the morning starting on the right page, getting started. Uh, throughout the day, I would probably say a handful of times a week, I'm trying to grow that number. I'm spending time journaling to where, for me, this is a big thing for me to learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, to where I've prayed all my life and then just didn't think I saw answers. So now I write my prayers, and then I go back, and I constantly write how I saw them solved or how the Lord met them from learning to identify Christ's move and the Holy Spirit as it happens. Okay, so is there one thing right now that the Lord is saying to you that you're listening to Him about? You got anything that you're kind of like trying to step forward in or just talking to Him about? Yeah, one of the things is the way in which I am actively serving here at the church. And so uh, I used to be up here probably three or four nights a week. And now I've sensed over the last several months a lot of sit down, get out of the way, for several of the folks to step up as the Lord is calling them. And so a lot of what the Holy Spirit is telling me now is to get out of the way, to allow Him to work through other people. That's good. All right. Give it up for Dan, everybody. Hello, Amy. Amy, have you ever been on the stage? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, all right, so here's my question for you, Amy, is um, how or, or, or what is something right now in your life that you're, you're, you're trying to be constant in prayer about, that you're talking to the Lord about? Um, so right now, uh, the two, I actually have two things that I pray about, like, constantly. Um, something that's become kind of apparent to me in my life lately is um, my lack of forgiveness, people. And um, as I work through that process, just to be able to love people better, too just to be um, loving on the people that are a little bit irritating to me or a little prickly or um, even ones that have hurt me, and um, just to forgive that and move forward and just love them the way Jesus does. Amen. Good. Let's pray for Amy right now. Everybody, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Amy. I thank you for her vulnerability. I thank you for how you're, you're speaking to her about this and how she's seeking you out. And I pray, Lord that as we all join together and we agree on this, that you would just move in a very powerful way in her life and help her, Lord, um, as she brings this to you to find the freedom um, that you're trying to show her in it. Lord, we love her. We thank you for her. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Good. Um, Stephanie. Everybody give Amy a hand. All right. Hey, Stephanie. Everybody knows Stephanie. Have you all ever met Stephanie? She is awesome. Okay, uh, okay, so Stephanie, the question for you is um, tell us about how, you, how you've been searching, the, like recently searching the Scriptures and something the Lord has showed you. 
Well, um, I think um, what I've really been searching the scriptures mostly about is just how the Lord wants to use my life um, and how he can then manifest himself in my life. And um, he showed me that through working with the young people on Sunday and the teens, and that um, in working with them, with young people, you have to come to them in truth um, because they can seek out non-truth. And so when you're speaking the scriptures to the young people, you better know the truth with that. And so in that, recently I shared my testimony with the kids and um, I kept telling them it was boring, it was boring. And they were like, Mama Coop, that wasn't boring. (laughs) And so just in building those relationships with those young people, it then is helping me to grow in Christ too, because I know that I can't come share the word with them if I haven't gotten into the word. So just in that he's showing me how he's using my life for his glory very good all right good amen so if you don't know the kids have uh, affectionately call um stephanie mama coop so she's becoming that around here to everyone okay mike um the question for you is uh how right now how are you being guided by the Lord? Where, where's an area in your life you're walking in discipleship? Where's, where's an area that you're being currently guided by the Lord? Uh, so just like going out through my discipleship group and like attending this church and like abiding uh, with the Lord, actually getting like hit and like seeing the Bible just jump out from the pages. Uh, as y'all know, I was, I was dead to... Dead to myself. I was I was dead in Christ before I came to this church. Uh, I was addicted to smoking. Uh, I, I was probably smoke every day, and then smoke what, Michael? I smoke weed. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so I mean, that's what I look forward to. I I get off work. That's what I was. That's what I was going to do. And then uh, I started reading, and it, 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 the Bible calls us to have a sober mind. The Bible tells us to have a, a Christ-like, God-like mindset. And to go out through your day always on the ready, always on the prepared. And so that, that kind of stood out to me. I, I lived a sexually impure life. Uh, and since going to the discipleship group and Shay kind of outreaching to my life and, and witnessing to me and weighing on me, uh, I haven't had sex or been sexually impure with myself uh, since October 23rd. Amen. Uh, actually, I think it's before then. I think September 18th. I remember I called Shay. And it, it, I broke down in my car. I was like, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of, uh, of walking away from Christ. And so it's just been, uh, sorry. It's good, man. We can see the freedom rolling out of you. It's been good. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking at my life and seeing where, where, what else I got to give up, what else I got to die to myself or sacrifice so I, I can live that, that next stage and, and, and just become closer to God. So. Amen. Good, bro. <laughs> Give it up for Michael. All right, you guys can go. He's awesome. I'm so glad. Aren't you so glad I do it, went ahead and did that? That's awesome, man. Okay, so here's the big idea. We'll let you go. The kingdom moves, very simple. The kingdom moves when we pray, search the word, listen, and obey. Like, it's simple. Like that's, that's all we need to do. We're going to be people who pray, search the word, listen, and obey. That's what these people do. And I'm telling you, man, as we get deeper and deeper into Acts, this thing just starts blowing up. And, and if we could get everybody, like if all of us, like this 120, would get serious about this, 
and we would pray and search the word, listen and obey, we would start to see the kingdom move and we would see more and more like freedom rolling out as we heard these guys talk about um, this morning. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.